So Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. And as we read, we do, of course, remember that this is God's Word to us. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let's turn in our Bibles together to Titus 3. We're going to think uh, really especially of the first sort of three to five verses of um, these this wonderful letter to Titus. It's page 1199 if you've got a pew Bible, Titus chapter 3. I don't know if it's just one of those things that, that comes with getting older, but I look out at the world to turn on the news, and, and I just think to myself regularly, oh, my goodness, the world is getting worse. Uh, so many sad, depraved stories that just flash across our television screens and in our papers. Uh, I seem to notice that more frequently now. I, maybe it's just age, as I say. Just this week, we've had the discovery of that family in the States who, who were shackling their children to, to the beds and so on, just so awful. This outward appearance of, of normality, but monsters behind closed doors. You, you might have noticed in, in England this week, there was a, a lady convicted of aiding the suicidal death of a man uh, there. She had made contact with him online, formed a suicide pact with him. They had met at a secluded location, and she had encouraged him to take his own life, promising that she would do the same. And then as he was succumbing to the influence of carbon monoxide in his car, she got out, walked away, and within hours was online finding someone else to do the same with again. There are depths of depravity of the human condition illustrated for us day by day in more detail than we would care to imagine. 
And it's not those big things either, is it? It's just society as a whole sometimes that seems harsher, isn't it? There, there are lots of exceptions, but it seems that we are more impatient as a society, harsher as a society, less willing to help others. We find that when people have a degree of anonymity on the internet, they become so critical and difficult. Where will we be in another generation? What a world we live in. And how are we as Christians to live in such a world? That's the question that we're thinking about tonight. How are we to conduct ourselves in a world that is dark, that, as, as Godfrey was saying, is, is increasingly uncomfortable with at least orthodox Christianity that is seeking to push us to the side? It might be tempting to sort of you know, build a, a wall and close ourselves off from the world as much as possible. At the same time, talk about those awful people who are outside the wall. Christians do that at times. We do that at times, don't we? We, we? we mix only with Christian friends. We spend all of our time in church activities and so on. It's, it's, it's very tempting to do that. But of course, if we do that, nobody hears about Jesus' question. I wish I'd asked Godfrey now, is how do you plant a church? And it's not by building a wall and hanging out with Christians all the time. We know that the whole direction of the church in the Scriptures is outward. It's to look up to the Lord in worship and to look out to the world in evangelism. Mission is central. It's not an add-on as we, as we were hearing uh, last Sunday night, as you were hearing last Sunday night with Richard Pratt. Now, Titus reminds us how crucial this mission is, and, and particularly how this mission involves not only the message of our mouths, but also the message of our lives, the conduct of our lives. One of his big concerns is that the Christians in Crete would live authentic lives, lives that backed up the gospel, that adorned the gospel, and that's part of what it means to, to live a, a good life, a life that's characterized by good works, and those good works are to be evident in all sorts of places. So, for example, whenever Paul sets out the way in which wives are to conduct themselves in the home, he says in chapter 2, verse 5, so that the Word of God might not be maligned. He talks about how slaves should conduct themselves within the, the, the workplace, as it were, and he describes a, a godly life in that setting, and then he says, so that they, in everything they may adorn the gospel, chapter 2, verse 10. So he's saying, in all sorts of, in all arenas in which you're in, live the sorts of lives that are going to back up the gospel, that are going to adorn the gospel, and it's with that in mind that he then turns in chapter 3 to how Christians are to live within the world in general. So that's what we're thinking about tonight. How do we live in this world that at times seems increasingly harsh, that, that at times seems really unfriendly towards Christianity? And Titus will tell us that our lives are to be characterized by goodness, that this good life, this, these, this life filled with good works are not only to be seen in the home and in the church, but also to be seen and demonstrated within the world. Just before we jump onto that, let, let's just look at how Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, remind them, remind them. So, these things were not new to the people 
that Titus was teaching. They'd already been taught to how to live with respect to the world, but they needed to be reminded of it. Titus was to have a, a teaching ministry amongst them. You see that in chapter 2, verse 15, those last verses. Uh, they, these, then, are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And, and, and part of this teaching ministry for Titus was the job of reminding God's people about things that they'd already heard. Now, that, that helps me. It, it helps, I hope, you as you think about what we do here in, in church. By all means, you come sometimes thinking that I'm going to hear something new today, and you will hear something new. You'll, you'll see things in a, in a fresh way. You'll, you'll understand how things fit together. Our prayer is certainly for that. But there are also, there is also a, a, a tremendous need for us to be reminded of things that we already know. Because the truth is, if we know ourselves, then like we were singing at the end of Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We, we will drift. We will spend time in the world Monday to Friday, and the messages of the world will soak into us much more than we think. So we find ourselves beginning to to think the way the world thinks. Live and let live. What matters is the here and now. All of these things that come to us all the time. And then we come onto the Word on a Sunday, and we're reminded of the God who speaks to us an authoritative Word. The God who tells us that we're to set our minds on things above. It's not that we never knew that, but we need to be reminded of it. I went to the Presbytery Rally on Wednesday night. I heard Richard Pratt there. He was with you here on, on, on Sunday night past. He spoke on 2 Corinthians 5 down there, that passage that reminds us of being Christ's ambassadors. It's a passage that I've read numerous times. I've preached on it a couple of times. I'm not sure that I heard all that much that I'd not really heard before. But boy, did I need reminded of that. It came to me as a fresh word from God, so helpful to remind myself and to be reminded of some of those areas of mission that are so crucial. And in some ways, I'd taken my eye off the ball as far as those things were concerned, as far as the purpose to which God's people are primarily to be committed. So it's part of what we do as we come together. Remind them of these things, Paul says. So what is it that they are to be reminded of? Verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready to do whatever is good. So, so here's the first thing. How do we live within the world? We're to be good citizens within the world, good citizens in the world. Now, at points, you, you might have noticed that Paul has to tell Titus to challenge what we might call an argumentative spirit amongst the believers in the church. They're, they're not to be involved in dissensions and so on. And, and, and maybe it is the case that that sort of spirit of, of independence and dissension not only impacted their lives with each other, but also impacted their, their feelings towards authority in general, government perhaps in particular. And, and Paul says, no, you're to be model citizens submitting to the rulers who are over you. Now, there are limits to that 
a submission. We, we know that. In Acts chapter 4, you remember Peter and John are in court, and they're, they're commanded not to teach about Jesus anymore. Those days perhaps are coming in Canada. Perhaps they are coming here too. And Peter and John say famously, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. So, in other words, when the authorities forbid what the Bible commands or command what the Bible forbids, they're to be disobeyed. But apart from that, they're to be submitted to. Now, undoubtedly, there is a, a missional concern there as far as Paul is concerned. He knows that the Roman authorities are, are, are going to be very cautious about any group within their empire that, that might threaten the stability of the empire. And, and he wants the believers to be thought of as, as good citizens above uh, everything. But, but it's not just pragmatic, because Paul knows too that God has established all the authorities on the earth. But that's part of God's sovereign dispensation within the world. And they're to be submitted to because of that. It teaches us that in Romans. And don't forget, these are terrible authorities. Nero was emperor at this stage. His, his real persecution against the Christians hadn't probably started by this stage, but, but uh, he was on the throne, as it were, in Rome. He would soon blame the Christians for the fire of Rome instigate a, a, a persecution against them. Famously, he would dip some of them in pitch, and he would tie them around his garden and set them on fire to illuminate his gardens at night. He was brutal and mad. And, and locally in, in Crete, things were not all that much different. One Greek historian said, it was impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. But insofar as you're able, Paul is saying, submit and do good. And you know, there's really good evidence that the church took this on board. A few centuries later, the emperor, Roman emperor Julian, writing in the fourth century, uh, regretted the progress of Christianity. He was a pagan because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. And he said this, uh, atheism, that's what he described the Christian faith as, because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. Atheism has specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar, and that the godless Galileans, that's the Christians, the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain, for the help that we should render them. You see, the church, what good citizens they were, so that even the emperor has to acknowledge it. So, how do we think then about what it means to be a citizen? How do we talk about our government? How do we take opportunities that are there for us to play our part in doing good within our society? Because God has designed the authorities that rule over us, and we want the church to be respected in every corridor of power for the sake of the gospel. Well, that's how they're to live as far as the state is concerned. What about with those around them? Well, Paul says, we're to maintain good relationships with the world. Be a good citizen in the world, 
maintain good relationships with the world, or at least with the people of the world. Look at verse 2. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. So, as, as Paul describes how we are to be within the world in terms of our interactions with other people, he's really very specific. There are certain things we're not to do, slander and quarreling. Uh, that word peaceable is, is, uh, really should be translated not quarrelsome. Slander and quarreling, not what we're to do. And there are certain things we are to do, act considerately, show true humility towards all, uh, all people. Those positive things, considerate and true humility, those are words that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 10 to refer to aspects of Jesus' character. So, he says there, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. That's what he says. In other words, our interactions with the world are to be, above all, Christ-like. Seems simple, doesn't it? And remember, this is this corrupt, unjust, hostile world that Paul was commissioning the Christians of Crete to go into and to live like this. And again, there's this overarching concern about mission. And we might do well to reflect on how our interactions with the world have been. Even over this last week, the people that we have dealt with who aren't Christian people, have our interactions with them, as it were, left them more open to the gospel or more close to the gospel, humanly speaking. I was struck on Wednesday night again at that Presbytery rally to hear Avril Edgar. She's coming to RPW. She works with Arab World Ministry. She befriends Muslims in Belfast. She, she spoke of the power of smiling at someone and the number of opportunities that just had opened up before her because she had smiled at people who others had passed by. Notice it says, true humility towards all men, whether they agree with you or not, whether they vote the same way as you or not, whether they are the same color as you or not, all men. So, think of your interactions. Might they leave people open to the gospel? As you think about some of the things that you're going to go into this week, some of the conversations perhaps that you're going to have to have, is that part of your thinking? You, you might imagine, now, I'm going into that difficult situation. That's the result that I'm hoping for. How can I approach that person so that they will be more open to the gospel by the time I walk out? I am unfortunately reminded of a story about a minister who played golf at a fairly prestigious golf club in Belfast. I think he was a Presbyterian. And that club used to give ministers a discount on a Monday because they didn't do anything on a Monday. And, and this minister was, was playing golf on a Monday morning behind some slow players, and he got increasingly frustrated and eventually, he hit the ball over them. Now, you're not supposed to do that. It's dangerous. It's bad etiquette. And etiquette really matters when you're in a prestigious golf club. And anyway, an altercation developed. And, and at one point, the minister said, don't you know who I am? You know, you're really beat if you say that. And the club did know who he was. And the officials met. They barred him from all membership. 
and they removed every minister's Monday privileges from then on. That's a tragedy for golfing ministers everywhere. But it's a tragedy for the gospel, isn't it? And imagine that I was playing in the next four ball that came down the fairway, and, and I came across some of those who had tangled with my esteemed colleague. And I happened to have in my pocket some invitations for Christianity Explored, and I was giving them out, and I said, you know, we, we, you know I, I saw you talking to, to that guy. He's, he's, he's a member of, of, of a church that I know, of, and we're doing a thing on Christianity. Would you like to come? Well, whenever I took the golf club out of my ear, I'm sure that, that uh, I could have had an interesting conversation. But you see, think of your interactions. Think of them in the light of the mission of the church of Jesus Christ, which is what really, really, really matters. Think of them in the light of the Bible's commands. It's a challenge, isn't it? As, as we think about the world that seems to be getting worse, that seems to be harsher, that we might be tempted to withdraw from, but this is what we're called to, that difficult situation that you're going into this week where you've not always been well-treated, that bunch of school friends who do not make life easy for you, that family member who takes you for granted. The Bible says, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, show true humility towards all men. Now, the question is, why? Why do we do that? Why should we do this? It would be enough for us to say because the Bible tells us to, but, but that's actually not even what Paul does. Paul doesn't leave it there. He gives us reasons. In fact, the rest of the chapter is, is full of a number of different reasons. We're not going to look at them all tonight. Just going to look at really sort of one of them, and it's in verse 3. And he says, you treat people like this, because you were once like them, because you were in the world. At one time, verse 3, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So Paul's saying, look, we cannot look down on people who are difficult and who are living ungodly lives. We cannot treat them badly because once that's exactly where we were. And this is Paul's analysis of the human condition. This is what we are like without Christ. Some of us might have to look back years to remember what it was like before we knew the Lord, some of us less so. And, and at that time, it's possible that the, the, the grace of God might have limited the extent of these things within your lives. Some of us might have been protected from some of this before we became, of, before we became uh, Christians because of the blessings of a Christian family. But make no mistake about it, this is natural for human beings. We, we, we sometimes hear, you know, people say, well, I'm just going to follow my heart, follow my heart and see where that goes. Well, let me tell you, this is where the heart will lead you if you follow your heart. Let's think of these things a little. Foolish. This has nothing to do with intelligence. To be foolish means to lack the wisdom that sees that all of life is to be lived in relation to God. It's a moral thing. It's a pushing of God out of our lives. You think of some of the people that you know. By this definition, they are foolish. They, they, they know everything that there is to know about football or about politics or about the history of the invasion of, of the Falkland Islands, but they know nothing about the gospel, and nor do they want to because they've pushed God to the margins. And God says, the Bible says, this is foolish. 
disobedient. We know what God says. We know what is right, and yet we go the other way. We consider ourselves the exception. We, we rationalize it. We, we, but what we're doing is, is we're saying, as we sometimes say, my way, not his. And we don't immediately say it, see it. We're, our, our hunches that we're doing pretty well. Some of you might remember back to that time when you thought, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Remember, Christian explored on, on uh, Monday last Monday night. We were we were listening to Rigo, and, and part of his, his journey to faith was that he, he he thought he was living such a good life that he thought he should write it all down so that so that future generations could read it and, and reflect and, and awe. And so he began to journal and, and write things down. And as he did so, as he examined his life, he realized that he was a mess. He was a, a mass of contradictions. He he failed his own standards, never mind God's part of what led him to the Lord Jesus. Deceived, led astray as the ESV has it. We know that we need help as the self-help section in the bookshops demonstrate, but we look for it in all the wrong places. We say, it surely cannot be Jesus Christ. I look anywhere else. And so we seek wisdom from this person or that person, this guru, this inspirational story on the internet, and we're led astray. We're enslaved. We think that we're free, but we're trapped by the very things that we worship. And then look at what it says about our relationships, malice and envy. Doesn't that describe the squabble in the playground, the strife in the workplace, and the difficulties in the family? Some of you some of you are working in situations like that. Malice and envy are your bread and butter day by day. Hate it by others, hating one another. It's all pretty grim, isn't it? And maybe you think, you know, that described me to a T before Jesus rescued me. Maybe you think the vestiges of those things still remain. I know what trouble they caused me now what would it have been like if the restraining hand of God had been removed from me and I'd, allowed myself, and I'd been allowed to develop in this way as much as I possibly could? How good of God to rescue me from this life. Well, that's where Paul goes. Verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Now, we're going to see in subsequent weeks in much more detail how God rescued us, but I want us to see here that, that He did it while we were like that. God, while we were like that, God treated us with kindness. He, he treated us in a way that was not called for by our performance, and that's the basic principle of the gospel, isn't it? Let's be clear about that. The gospel is that though we were sinners, there is nothing that we can do or give to save ourselves, but God in His kindness saves us on the basis of what Christ has done, not on the basis of what we do. He pays for our sin. His perfect record is treated as belonging to us. So though we are difficult and hostile and bad, God treats us with kindness. Who would have any hope if that were not the case? And when we think of how we are to relate to the world, the world that is difficult and hostile and bad, what are we to do? We're to do what God does. We're to relate to it with kindness, with goodness, 
We're to be like God. We're to treat others as God has treated us. It's not complicated, but we do need to be reminded of it, don't we? So though our lives are busy and pressured, and we have every opportunity to turn into ourselves and our own concerns, to retreat into the comfort of a Christian subculture, we need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ went around doing good, and we are called to face out to the world and do good too. What does that mean for you and for me amongst your neighbors and your colleagues this week? What does that mean for you as you go into school tomorrow? What does that mean for you as you navigate that tricky family situation where maybe you're the only believer? What does that mean to you as you take back that item to the shop that doesn't work? Will the sales assistant be more likely to come to Christianity Explained afterwards? What does it mean to you as you sign that business deal? What does it mean to you as you meet a refugee who needs help? How do we live in the world? Be a good citizen in the world. Maintain good relationships with the world because you were in the world and God was kind to you. Let's pray together. Lord, how marvelous to be able to read here when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. We praise you for the gospel. We praise you that when we were hostile and difficult and ungodly, you treated us in kindness. And we pray, Lord, that as we go into the world this week, your people, we pray that wherever we go, we might be able to face up in worship and face out in mission and to do good as Jesus did. We pray in his name. Amen.